0: Hello, good people. Thank you so much for downloading the latest episode of the Cool Soar podcast. So very happy to be joined by a member, a Cool soror Roar of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority Incorporated, Cecilia Town. She is the founder of Gladiate Hers. She's at Sporty Esquire on Instagram. She is an amazing, an amazing attorney and writer. Uh, just an all around great writer woman and you will really enjoy this ig live that she and i shared last week very very good very introspective we match each other's fly We were just loving on each other and and how we admire how both of us, uh, you know, put our clothes together. So um, all that and so much more. So really, really excited to to chat with her. And you're going to hear from her in just a moment. Let me tell you about two events that I have coming up uh, on June 13th, this upcoming Saturday. Make sure you uh, check me out. It's a a Zoom that you have to register for. So if you go to my Instagram page um, at Kusora, it is posted there and you can get some information there. And then upcoming, um, uh, coming up on June the 20th, I'm doing a music and art therapy sip music and paint um, with my good friends over at Brushed Studios. So you'll need to get if you're out of town, if you're not in the Atlanta area, you'll need to get your pallets or register for um, delivery of your canvas by this upcoming Friday. So that's at brushedstudios.com. And my man E Class, one of my favorite DJs, is going to be DJing inside of the Zoom. Shout out to DJ Classics as well. She'll be inside of the Zoom for the event on Saturday. That's a sip and smoke. So shout out to my man's beat my men, my men, uh, my my homies Brian Thomas and uh, Mike Jackson over at Diamante Roja Roja uh-huh, Stogies. <laughs> uh, so they are some cool brads of Alpha Z Chapter Cap Alpha Psi Fraternity Incorporated. So we got coolness everywhere. All right. So right now you will hear myself and Cecilia Towns in this great interview called "Constantly." check your belief system hope you enjoy you know you gotta be a cool soror to talk to the cool soror herself i'm a cool soror hey y'all i am a cool soror of what's up y'all i'm a cool soror of... hi i am a cool soror of... it's the cool soror podcast hosted by me rashawn ali Oh, hey. you. How you doing? I'm great.
1: How are you? I need I need the people to see my vote T-shirt. Oh so. yes, oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Dang,
0: should I put <laughs> put mine on. Did you get that from the Delta box?
1: No, I haven't joined Delta box. My okay. mom literally finds. <sighs> I would say ninety percent of the really great DFT stuff I have, yes. she finds it. So I don't know where she got this
0: one from. You, you know, it's crazy because my my mother in law, who is your yeah. national president, mm-hmm. Beverly Smith, all my favorite, aka stuff. Yeah, she's she's got me like for wow. real. Like all of my favorite, like my earrings. She's because she yeah. all, she's just a thoughtful person. So every mm-hmm. time you all have a convention or yeah. a meeting, and she sees a, a vendor, she she's just a giving woman, and I, I love her so much. But I'm so happy to have you here I'm today. so happy
1: to be here. I, yeah. I really appreciate all the stuff that you do. You always thank do it to, with grace and class. And, thank you. So, thank yeah. you. Yeah, I still I get,
0: you. you know, I still get, you know, I still get hey, 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 Everybody, <laughs> everybody got to
1: keep that, yes. that side to it. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: <laughs> so, um, you know, these conversations are really just organic and just authentic to, to who you are. And, and like I said in your introduction, I've always been just enamored of your work. We had a chance to work together during the Super Bowl uh, when it came to Atlanta and I was a special invited guest to a a great event that your organization Turn off my notifications. notifications. No, it's not you. It was actually I should have turned off my phone Uh, see that's that's the first thing (laughs) I just did a seminar on the things you need to do when you go live and I didn't even follow my own directions that's my neighbor, my neighbor down the street (laughs) (laughs) like how you're being an amateur. Lord have mercy. Anyway, I want to talk a little bit about, right? Telling me, oh my God. Anyway, talk a little bit about Gladiators and why you felt it was so important to start your organization and found that organization.
1: Yeah, so um, I, my father raised, it's three of us, myself and two boys. And he raised us, you know, playing tennis. Um, And and beyond tennis, you know, my brothers played football, I played soccer. So sports had always been a part of my life. Um, I, you know, played in high school, played tennis at Howard in college. And, um, you know, I just kind of thought like, initially I thought, well, I'm going to law school now, so sports is over. But immediately, you know, when I graduated and I started practicing, I was like, something's missing. You know, I'm missing being a part of the sports community. Um, and initially my solution was I was going to go work, you know, in compliance or something at, um, an athletic department. But eventually I, I realized that there was, um, a need to tell the story of women in sports in a different yeah. way. And this was back in 2011, 2011, 2012. Um, and so I started gladiators as a blog because I felt like they're not talking about racism in sports. They're not talking about sexism in sports. They're not talking about eating disorders that women in sports mm-hmm. deal with. Um, and I was like, those stories need to be told. So that's how it started. And then over time, as it grew, and I started writing for different publications, I, I just saw that there was a legit need to go bigger than a blog. You know, yeah. women needed to be connected to, not- to one another. They needed to be educated about the industry um and so that's what we did we started um offering organize uh offering events um we obviously content so on the blog we do a mentorship program now but it really was all just birthed out of my love for sports and I guess my love for being an advocate you know for for voices and for people who you know don't have the platform that I think they deserve
0: yeah, yeah. You mentioned tennis and um, I grew up as a swimmer and went to Florida A&M on a on a, on a swimming scholarship. So I understand firsthand about the racism that we endure being mm-hmm. in sports that, you know, don't necessarily um, have a lot of African-American um, yes. women in it or uh, girls. Uh, what was your experience growing up in, in the world of tennis and then playing through college? Uh, what was your experience like?
1: Well, you know, I would say I was extremely blessed because when we first started playing tennis, we were in D.C., Maryland area, Mm -hmm. and there is a significant population, a group of black folks that play. So um, I started playing tennis. I I mean, it was a black sport as far as I was concerned. I was always playing, you know, with black people, but I also grew up in a household where I was very aware of, uh, you know, the socioeconomics of race, the politics of race. So, you know, my dad was like preparing us for, you know, when we went to tournaments um, and we definitely experienced um, sort of being treated a little differently when we would get to country clubs Um, you know, had a a few incidents on my like high school tennis team and it's just, it was, it was very much, usually it wasn't direct and overt. It was just kind of the microaggressions, um, that you learn to deal with, you know, allegations that you're cheating, Mm -hmm. you know, stuff about your hair. Um, and you know, you just, you deal with it. It's you're playing a sport that you love, so you're going to endure it, but it doesn't mean that it doesn't wear on you. Um, yeah. And you know, going to HBCU, you know the teams that we play are typically other HBCUs. Mm-hmm.
0: Um,
1: and but when we played the PWIs, predominantly white institutions, um, generally it was okay. But there were times when like it was like the on every court there would be an issue, Man. and and you knew it was because they didn't want us here. Right, right, yeah. of
0: course, yeah. and because yeah. they more than likely, no offense. Right. But They probably were getting beat and they try to figure out how right. can I. And, and, and more than how can
1: I, how is this even possible? Right. You know, because for them, they not even suppo- We're not supposed to be able to compete with them. Right. So it's like they frustrated because they in their mind, they supposed to be winning. Yeah,
0: yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You talk about the HBCU experience, and then I, oh my goodness, I could, I got chills. I just got when chilled. traded, man, for the world. Yeah. So, but you were born in Sumter, South Carolina. Did you move to the D.C. Maryland area shortly thereafter? And how did you end up at Howard?
1: Yes. So, um, really, like two weeks, I think. I might be misquoting, but I think it's like two weeks after I was born. Oh wow. We moved to Maryland. Um, to you know, that's where I started growing up. Mm-hmm. My parents ended up splitting, and then we moved my mom and one of my brothers and I moved to South Carolina and then I would spend, we spent summers, Christmases, Thanksgivings, all of the holidays essentially with my dad, you know? Okay. Um, so I feel like we grew up in both places, you know? Um, and I, how did I end up at Howard? I mean, we were, we always kind of lived not too far from campus. Yeah. Um, but, I I would say my sophomore year in high school, whenever you take the PSAT, Mm -hmm. I took it, I scored high and like, you know, schools were offering me scholarships based on that. And Howard had this program where they would fly you in and like treat you to, here's our campus for a weekend. Uh And I fell in love. It it happened to be, it was like a weekend or a Friday where I think the Alphas came out, Oh so the yard was lit. I was souls. like, "Uh, uh-uh. I was like, I'm going here, and right. it's
0: free." Like, you can't tell me nothing, right, right, <laughs> yeah. right? I know that was like. See, that's the that's the thing. That's how they get you. They, they had it. The Alphas coming out, bring all of them, bring this all the potentials here. Right, right, right. <laughs> That was awesome. So did you get a scholarship to play at, at I,
1: Howard? I actually had an academic scholarship. Okay, okay. Um, and, you know, the coach knew my family and I from, you know, playing when we were younger. And so I, you know, I joined the tennis team, um, ended up becoming team captain, Come academic all experience. It was, it was like a really great experience. And, yeah. um, you know, I was grateful, though, that I didn't have to play tennis.
0: Right. Mm. That
1: my my education didn't depend on me wanting to go out there every day because that yes. would have been a different story. Let <laughs> me tell you about it.
0: You want to know? You want to yes. know? Yeah. At that pool at four thirty in the morning and coming mm. back at twelve mm. for mm. four years mm. and still being able to do. I can't. I look back at my time at family like how so in the world did I do all of that? and. But then it, it was almost like a preface to how my life is now. Like I needed the training That's ground to, be, to have all of those things going on and be able to give the attention to each of them. So that was tough being a student yeah. athlete. What was your greatest challenge as a student athlete? Um, It was,
1: I would say, I mean, I, I think I like to be involved in a little bit of everything. I need to always have a social life. Yeah. I need my grades to be good. And so that was the biggest challenge was saying no to some stuff you know like I was in the NAACP I was political action chair for a while so like trying to balance that plus school plus you know tennis plus Mm -hmm. I still need to hit the club when y'all
0: hit the club yeah (laughs) you're not getting the club (laughs) 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 Right. so Um,
1: yeah just balancing it all but I mean to your point earlier um I think it does prepare you, right, for your adulthood to be able to juggle a lot of things and kind Mm -hmm. of do it with some sort of excellence, like, um, because I don't think that if I didn't have the student athlete
0: experience that I would be able to manage my life the way I do now. Absolutely, absolutely. Mm -hmm. I think they go hand in hand, which speaks to um, why so many women leaders uh, played a sport, that's can, right. Y- yeah, you look at a lot of those bios that mm-hmm. she participated in, and she mm-hmm. was a collegiate student athlete, like all those things, which yeah. was the fo- you know focus of, of my organization, Sporting Girls, just to expose more go- girls to swim- swimming, soccer, tennis, golf, and lacrosse. So yeah. when we get back rolling, you have to come and speak. You have to Absolutely. be a future guest because you are the example of what we want uh, our girls to become. You're truly an example of that. So well, thank you. I appreciate that, but I wanted to, and I wanted to correct you because I actually, the first time
1: we met Uh -uh. was years ago, Uh and when you were doing with Sporty Girls, y'all had like summer camp down at, what's the school? in Clayton Clayton County? Yes, at Clayton State, and I came and gave them um, like a workshop on sportsmanship. What? Yes. Yes. yes, yes, You must not have
0: booked you though, but, I no you didn't. You okay. didn't.
1: It was it was someone who was working with sporty yeah, girls. At yes. The time. And you know, you just you came in, you had a thousand things going on. So I think you were in and out, you yeah. know, saying hi to the girls, say hi to me, and that that was it. But right. so I've been following you know, sporty girls for a while now. Thank you. Wow, yes, that's amazing. What I'm talking
0: about. Well, you got to come back then. Absolutely, back. <laughs> right. absolutely. That's great. That is absolutely wonderful. So, what led you? What was being an attorney always a dream of yours? Because you hear a lot of people. I, I've got some close friends mm-hmm. who really wanted to be a, an attorney, but now they're practicing mm. and they absolutely hate it. Hate it.
1: Interesting. Yeah, yeah. I, I get that story a lot. Yeah. Um. So I grew up saying that I was going to be a doctor or a lawyer and I was going to drive a Lamborghini um and so to me being a doctor or a lawyer was really about the money that I thought I was going to be making I thought I was going to be making enough money to drive a Lamborghini but um when I went to Howard I was a um, biology major and I went in my first chemistry class and came out with a C and I was like
0: Mm -mm. that's
1: not for me. I don't think I'd be a good doctor. Um, So then I changed my major to African-American studies after sitting in my intro to Afro-Am. And then around junior, senior senior year, I was like, I can't be a teacher. Like, I felt like that was really the way to go with that degree, but Mm -hmm. I didn't want to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just happened upon an LSAT book um do you happen upon an LSAT? i was I was literally sitting outside of my professor's class for um i don't know I think I was writing my senior thesis, and outside they just had you know information,
0: yeah.
1: and there were some practice questions in there, and I took them. And I was scoring myself, and I was like, "Oh, like oh, you getting these right? Like, let me look into law school type thing." And you know, with my African American studies background, I was like, "Well, I want to do something that's going to have impact." Yeah. And so I was interested in international human rights, and UCLA had a great program for that. And so I was just like, "Well, that's where I'm going." Yeah. <laughs> and thank God, you know, it worked out. Like, um, so I, I definitely didn't have the experience of you Know this is my life's dream. It was more so, um, I'm following the feeling that God has given me now mm-hmm. in this moment. Um, and I think like that's probably how I live my life. Um, yeah, I've learned that the stuff I plan, I don't, that don't even be working out anyway. So I'm just right, right. <laughs> right, follow God's plan,
0: follow his plan. you be right. All right. Do, do you still enjoy it now that you're an employment and labor attorney? Yes, do I do, it? I okay, do, good, and good. um,
1: I do. Do because of the people. I've realized okay. that that is what, like, the most fulfilling for me is working with my clients. Um, but employment and labor laws, it's really hot right now between mm-hmm. Me Too, between, you know, just people uh, wanting to stand up for themselves and, you know, really, I'm tired of taking the sugar honey iced tea from my employers. There's yeah. just, it's a lot of action, a lot of movement. So I can give it, I can... A lot of work. Yeah. Um, but but I enjoy it.
0: Yes. And, yeah. and, and you, you, you do you do so much outside of your job, obviously, as the founder of gladiators and, yeah. and, and the work you do there, but you're an amazing writer. Um, oh, and thank you. the op ed that you did on Forbes.com was absolutely phenomenal. How, how did that relationship begin? And where can we see more of your writing? So I
1: actually, I started writing obviously for the blog and then I started pitching myself to other, um, other platforms. So for my blog, I went to ESPNW and I started writing for them for like maybe a year and a half. And then, um, this woman, I know her name is Christy Mm Dosh. She was helping me with my P you know, do PR and sort of expanding on my brand. And she gave me a contact at Forbes. And she was like, you know, they don't allow people, they don't allow public relations reps to pitch people. But you okay. can go, you can pitch go yourself. yourself. Yeah, yeah. And so that's what I did. I pitched myself. I found that, like, just looking at their site, they didn't have anybody really talking consistently about women's, women's sports mm-hmm. and sports law. So I, I told them that that's what I wanted to write about. And
0: they were like, that come, come through. Come through. Come through. And it's been working out ever since. Um, it has been. So this got my attention. um Obviously, it's um, Forbes.com today. um If you can see it now, but I yeah. watched, uh, saw it yesterday. Don Staley, Natasha Cloud reaction to George Floyd's death shows women's sports linked to racial inequality. And I was like, how is she going to marry the two, and yeah. so as I as I went further in the article, and of course my my iPad just froze on me because I really wanted to um, uh, reference a pull quote, and it's basically saying how black athletes have won medals,
1: yeah. black
0: female athletes have won medals, they've won um, championships, but they're still a part of this system that doesn't appreciate. Here it is. Let me go because I just want everyone okay. who has not read it, yeah, because this struck me. Um, God, it's still acting funny. No worries, um, but it it just it just struck me. There it is. Here we go. Black women okay. as athletes and and coaches are responsible for countless gold medals, trophies, inspiring moments, and prize money for America. They grace the cover of American magazines, make American companies millions of dollars, and wear American logos all over their bodies. They take center stage in American basketball arenas, tracks, tennis courts, soccer fields, and more white, black, brown, red, and yellow American fans applaud them, ask for autographs, buy tickets to see them and buy their products. And yet all of that applause is undercut by a system of white supremacy that since 1619 has enslaved, raped, murdered, disenfranchised, suppressed, and oppressed black women. I said- I wrote that. (laughs) Yes, you did. And I literally got chills just now and got chills when I first read that. That was truthful and that was bold in this climate. What type of response have you gotten from this? It's been like really
1: phenomenal. So, you know, I I can't, like we have to keep it 100. People don't typically care that much about women's sports, right? Right. (laughs) It just is what it is. And so typically I'll post my articles for Forbes and I'll get, you know, a small contingency of people who genuinely care about women's sports responding, but this, it has been men and women, you know, like, like, thank you. Thank you. Black people and white people. Like, thank you for writing this. Um, so the response has has been really, really wonderful. Yeah. Um, which I'm thankful for because, you know, um, whenever you sort of write from the heart, it's always, it's always like, ah, uh, you know, how they going to take it? How mm-hmm. how they going to take it? And then right. you, know, you have, you have editors who at any moment you could write something. They'd be like, nah, this is, this is too bold or this is too whatever. And so none of that happened, you know, mm-hmm. there, I didn't get any
0: backlash. I didn't, my editors were supportive of it. So it was, it's been great. Yeah, that's good. I'm, I'm so glad you did that. I'm not sure if you heard you probably have because you're on top of what's going on in sports that the North Carolina Central head coach called out the power five head coaches by yeah. not, you know, taking a stand and really saying more about the black athletes that bring them millions. And he had such oh. a great point saying, you know, because you're the coach of these black athletes, your children's children's children will that's have right. generational wealth that's because right. they're multimillionaires because they're the head coaches. And then we got to scrape to, be, to have money for, for, mm-hmm. for being a, a collegiate student-athlete. Your thoughts on what the Power Five head coaches should be doing in a space like this where they really can win by yes. saying and doing the right things?
1: Yeah. So first, I want to, before I answer that, I want to shout out the HBCU coaches and the HBCU sports programs and encourage people to send their children, star athletes or not, to HBCUs. My brother is a head coach. Oh, go ahead.
0: No, go ahead. I'm just oh, okay.
1: Okay, yeah. My brother is the head coach at Morgan State um, for the tennis team. Um, my dad played at South Carolina State. So, like, we are believers in, in HBCUs, and I just encourage everybody to send your children, send your grandchildren, yes. because
0: they will care about you beyond what you can do on a court. You know what? The biggest protest would be, <laughs> you already know where I'm going. You already know. You already know where I'm going. I already know. That would be the greatest it's protest ever, ever in the history of mankind. Ever. You know it how much change we would get? Oh, my God. Oh, my but God. Go to ahead. An,
1: so, yes, to answer your question, I mean, I think that they literally are having, they have millions of dollars. These coaches need to be, at the minimum, <clears throat> creating spaces for their players to have open dialogue about the things that impact them and they need to be donating some of their own hard-earned money which comes at the the expense of, of black young men mm-hmm. um to some of the causes that are supportive of these communities i mean they they walk in these communities these impoverished communities and take these boys out and mm-hmm. give nothing back right right like it, and it's 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 just ridiculous so if yeah. they want to to, you know, sort of be a part of the movement, that's what they can do. They can start giving some of their money back to the communities that have sustained them. Um, I think that, um, yeah, beyond that, they need to encourage their institutions to do like some of the same, Yeah. you know, to to be giving money to these communities, um, to be supporting programming. Um, They need to encourage their young student athletes to get these degrees, even if they leave early, you know, come back and get your degree. Yeah. Um, so that so that your future is bright beyond you know your the your your playing span.
0: Mm-hmm. Um.
1: So yeah, I think that's probably three solid things that they could all easily do that really wouldn't wouldn't hurt them at all.
0: Yeah, you 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 nailed it on so much of that. You, you talked a little bit about that uh, in, in your article a- as well. Um, you know, just to jump back to to you as a person you are you seem like such a resilient um young woman um and in our questionnaire I always ask the question what what bent you but did not break you and you, you know you suffered a loss and people mm-hmm. equated to to death really when yeah. you were divorced and you decided to move to Atlanta. How did that grow you as a woman and how better how much better are you for it now yeah, I think um
1: Yes, I think divorce is absolutely a loss. Like you you grieve that, you grieve the loss of that relationship. Um, but it also causes you to reflect on who you are as a person and how you can be better. Like to me, I, you know, I've seen people get divorced for any number of reasons. And no matter whether it was your fault or the other person's fault or both of your faults, it, it causes you to be very reflective and introspective. And so I think that um, it helped me in that way because I I absolutely became a better woman. Um, I think I'll be an eventually, you know, a a better wife in the future Mm -hmm. because of it. Um, I think it showed me how strong I was. I mean, I think, you know, for somebody like me, I'm a a self-professed type A personality. I like (laughs) things to go. Perfectly, and if they don't, <laughs> we got some problems. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, the fact that that just did that went horribly wrong in my book um, was um, a lot of being embarrassed, mm. and I had to feel like, all right, like you, you, it's okay, you know, you, you don't have the reason to be embarrassed, right? You know? Um, so I, I think I got stronger in that way. Um, I, I absolutely think that I am a better friend. To my friends who are going through or have gone through like major breakups. It doesn't even have to be a divorce. Right. But, right. you know, b- major breakups, I'm able to help them through that. Um, uh, let's see. I would say definitely just, you know, prior to that, any move that I made, it was like in relation to my education. Mm-hmm. So I went from South Carolina to Howard from Howard to UCLA, and after UCLA, it's kind of like I came back home to D.C., and so moving to Atlanta to sort of start over was the first time that I was like, well, I'm going someplace where I don't really know a ton of people. It's not for school. Like, it was a little scary. So it was kind of like my first real, real leap of faith, Mm -hmm. Um, and so it strengthened my relationship in God, you know? I mean, he definitely brought me through, and... Um, yeah, I just am a better person for one of the probably worst experiences in my life.
0: Yeah, well, we have to, yeah, I guess you, you got to grow from it. you find the, mm-hmm. find, you hate to say the silver lining, but find yeah. what what was that for me? What, what was I supposed to learn from that experience yeah. to become a better person? What's the best piece of advice you've ever gotten and from whom? Um, I answered
1: this question and now I can't remember how I answered it. <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's all good. If it, oh. if it comes up, just just jot it down somewhere. <laughs> right. Um, I um, don't worry about it if you can't. Yeah. Well, I
1: mean, I just think, in general, I would say probably the best piece of advice that I got was from my parents, and it was consistent advice that I could do whatever I wanted to do. Mm-hmm. Like there is there. I remember my dad raising us to we could cuss, but the only word we couldn't say was can't. And that would, if you said the word can't in your, in his household, you doing pushups, you what? running laps. Yes, what? yes. And so it was like, for, for me, it was ingrained in me that anything I set my mind to, I can do. And yeah. I think that, you know, subconsciously, I, that, that's, how I, that's how I view my life, that's how I view myself. One of my very best friends, she's always like, you just are like fearless about stuff. And I'm like, I, in my mind, I don't think of myself as fearless. I just, if it's on my mind, it's on my heart, I'm going to yeah. do it. Yeah.
0: Yeah. That's good, man. You're yeah. the second interview in a row like this, just talking about just going and do it and forget, yeah. forget failure. It's That's no right. such thing. And That's if you right. do, you just get back up and you, you, keep, get it, back you up. keep it moving. You keep it That's moving. Right. What is your, your big dream for gladiators? Where do you see it going? I mean, you've done so, so much, yeah. like, I'm like, man, we need to get together. Teach me how to grow we sporty do. girls in a way. There you go. Yeah. Go. And what was your decision not to is it it's not a nonprofit, right? No, it's not a nonprofit. See, tell me yes. why you did that too. Yeah.
1: Well, I mean, real talk, I did yeah. it because it was too much work <laughs> <laughs> to be a
0: nonprofit. I'm not feeling all somebody would have told me that. <laughs>
1: and I also did it because I just like the freedom, right? I, and I I because I started it as a blog, I I didn't have the vision for what it is now. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, And so I just really um, I felt like, all right, well, uh, being an LLC would just give me the most freedom possible. And I wouldn't be confined to like, oh, I have to have a board. I have to do this, which is another thing that's about my that about my nature. I, I like to do what I want to do, and y'all right. can't be telling me no. What you mean? Right. Like, no. So, Good. Um, yeah, that's, that's, that's what I'm talking probably, about. I Get that's it. the real motivation behind it. Right.
0: Right. So, can <laughs> legally, can you teach me how to flip mine? From do I have yeah. to flip it as a nonprofit? How can I, I, I don't do? think so.
1: I mean, because people people let their um, nonprofit status lapse all the time. I don't. I'm not an expert in that area of okay. law, but I am like honestly ninety nine percent sure that you do not have to maintain your nonprofit status. I mean yeah they can actually take it away from you. So there's no way that you have to keep it. Yeah. Um, I, so I wanna yeah, become a foundation. Yeah. Yeah.
0: yeah. I want to become a foundation so that I can oh, give money to, to to athletes yeah. like you, to athletes yeah. like me, just to supplement their scholarship yeah. or, you know, and really have a dope. big gala every year with like you know everybody dressed real cool and I just yeah. I get I collect money to give to to black athletes yeah. black yeah, female that athletes that's what I want to do
1: okay yeah, yeah. yeah. well I, I that that can easily be done and I think oh actually one of my line sisters has said yes, she yes can you flip can flip, it, flip it, back. it back come on flip yeah. it back that flip it back
0: yes yes because I gotta be, <laughs> it's just too much Seriously, it's it is. too much it is a lot. it's a, <laughs> man. a lot man I'm glad we're still in existence. I mean, I still pay my money to the to, to the state for to keep my status and all of that right. stuff. But right. you know, we're neither here nor there. Um. So in spring of 2018, you became yeah. a member of Delta Sigma Theta Sorority, Incorporated. I did, I did. did Delta Sigma Theta choose you, or did you choose Delta, Th- Delta Sigma Theta? I think it
1: really chose me as a little girl because my mom is a Soror. Okay. And so I you know I just grew up like looking at her paraphernalia and she ain't tell me too too much but mm-hmm. she told me enough to where right. I was interested.
0: Yeah. Um
1: and you know one of my really good Sorors who is Alpha Chapter Delta um, you know, I, we've had many conversations. You know about the undergraduate process. Yes. And, You know, she was just like, "Yeah, you you weren't ready. You know, you they, it, Delta hadn't hadn't called you like it needed mm-hmm. to call you in. At, you know, as undergrad, she always tells me I wasn't humble enough." Um which is, <laughs> It's a
0: whole thing. It's
1: a whole, it's a whole thing at an HBCU. Yes so, it is. So, <laughs> Tell so, me about it. Um I think, you know, I, just the way it, it all finally came into being, my chapter,
0: mm-hmm. my
1: line sisters, Delta found me from yeah. from a young girl to to when I crossed Delta found me and I'm I'm so glad it did.
0: Yeah. How was it for your mom when you when you uh, when she, I think you. she I'm, I'm cried. assuming she sent you. Yes. Yeah, yes. Well, absolutely. Yes. I I think she
1: might have cried more than I did. I don't know. I was snotting up. Yeah. But um <laughs> she was just it was just super, super special for her. Yeah.
0: Yeah. yeah. What's yeah. been the most gratifying thing so far? you know, two years in? Um, I would
1: say just the the sisterhood. When yeah, I like I didn't grow up with sisters. Um And it's like little things where, you know, I lost um, my great-grandmother and my grandmother, um, you know, within six months of each other. And Mm -hmm. just the way, you know, they love on you, you know, and and it's the love that you feel even beyond your line, sisters. Yeah, understood. uh, So I would say that has been um, the most gratifying. um, And then the network has been amazing, too. Like, mm-hmm. I look at some of the things that Gladiators has even been able to do. Um, because I'm a soror now, mm-hmm. and it's pretty, pretty incredible.
0: Good, good, good. You know, I also, one of the things that I admire about you is that, like, I think we kind of dress alike, like in some yeah. kind of way. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. So where, where do you, you get fly- your, you fly How you Where <laughs> do you get your sense of style from that sport? It's like, like, I see some sort of the stuff you have, like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, I like that. Where do you get your sense of style from? Like, I would say it's probably
1: both of my parents. Like, I grew up, you know, my dad, he mostly play, wears, like, tennis stuff now because he's a tennis coach, but he used to dress fly. And then my mama, like, still dresses fly. And, yeah. you know, I just grew up feeling like that's an expression of who you are. You know, it's not just, cl- clothes aren't just clothes. But they Mm -hmm. are very much an extension of you. And so, you know, I just kept playing with it. And I I just always feel like, yeah, that's my goal for whatever I'm wearing to really be a reflection of me. Right. Because your line
0: name is the trendsetter. I'm assuming. I don't know. Does it have anything to do with how you dress? It it, it, might. Perhaps. perhaps. (laughs) 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 You got to keep it. You got to keep it tight. Keep it tight. Um, You know, as we close out maybe I don't know I still got a lot of questions but uh, where we are in this country right now um, you know there's so much there's so much we've been dealing with obviously over the last few weeks hell we we, we've been dealing with it our whole lives in some way shape or form we've learned how to adjust we've learned how to conform we've learned how to even be quiet when it comes to racism because Sometimes when we experience those racial moments, you're like, it's not even worth my energy Mm -hmm. right now. Mm -hmm. But I want to talk to you about activism and how some people of color are very judgmental as to Mm -hmm. when it comes to how you are uh, activating or what type of activist you are. What are your thoughts on how that activism can be differentiated when we all can do things in our own sphere of influence? What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, so
1: I I was actually I'm in a, a group of friends and I, we have like a devotional, it's like a 90 day devotional that we're doing. And we've been kind of talking about this. I really think that your activism should be based on like, what moves you what you're talented at. Like, mm-hmm. I think, you know, from a spiritual perspective, that is where God would want you to use, you know, how God would want you to use your talents. So I think that just like people, you know, have different nine to fives, Mm -hmm. they, it's totally fine for them to be inspired to do different things. Yes. Um, I think also, you know, there are other things that dictate how active you can be, right? So some people have two kids, a husband, a job. So no, they, the only thing they can do is vote or post on social media Mm -hmm. and that's totally fine. Right. Some people can be out on the front lines, you know, getting tear gassed and, and, you know, going to jail. Some people, you know, think it's best that they are active through their art. I think, you know, that they're, I, I agree with you 110% that we shouldn't be shaming anyone for how they choose to be active. Um, and honestly, I am not in the business of shaming people who are not, you know, outwardly mm-hmm. active. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I don't believe in putting that pressure on anybody. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, would I like everybody to be active in some way, shape, or form? Sure. But I think people should, um, you know, do what feels natural to them. Do what they feel led to do. Right. And be, and be genuine in whatever that is. Yeah. Um, and, and you know social media just has a way of putting pressure on people yeah to be something they're not
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. or to make you feel because like I what felt you're doing this, not yeah I felt yeah like I felt the other day I'm like what am I doing everything I'm supposed to do and God was like you're on the radio I give yes. you four hours to talk to be all about how you're <laughs> feeling yeah you're good you know what I mean because I'm like I didn't post this I didn't post this face yes. I didn't do I'm like but I also have to uh, take into account of protecting my energy. I'm, I'm yeah. very I'm very yes. uh, uh you know I'm 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 really thoughtful about That's protecting key. my energy. Yeah. That's
1: key. So it I is. was just having um a conversation like with my boyfriend uh, yesterday or today and we were talking about
0: <laughs> we were talking <laughs> about. Yes, boyfriend.
1: Um, <laughs> the um so you know it's a lot on social media where people saying hey like white people Don't come to me asking for advice. Don't come to me, like, do your own research. Mm -hmm. And we were both just sharing our thoughts on that. And, you know, for me, like, I totally get how some Black folks can want, they stand in that truth. Like, that is totally fine. But I, on the other hand, am actually okay with them coming to me Mm -hmm. and asking what I, you know, what I think. And you know, I think it's like the nature of of what I do. Like, I can't be, um, I can't be out here writing these articles, and then when somebody comes to talk to me about what I wrote, you're like, "Have my picnic,
0: uh-uh, uh-uh, uh-uh.
1: <laughs> I'm good. No? Read the article.
0: It's right. plenty in there. <laughs> exactly.
1: Right. exactly. So, um, yeah, I think that people, yeah, should just, um be themselves, even in activism, if yeah. if you just be yourself. And like you said, protect your energy. You know, if, if, you know, it is too much for you to be tweeting about it and talking about it constantly or to be explaining your feelings constantly, that's OK, too. Like, yeah, you know,
0: it is. Well, I, I just happened to have this book by me, by me. And I'm, I'm sure because you're so well educated um, that you may have heard of it or heard of this woman, but this book called "White Fragility." Yeah. It is why it's so hard for white people to talk about racism. It's written by a white woman. Her name is Robin DiAngelo. This book is literally, it could be considered a Bible for not only white people but particularly white people to understand themselves when it comes to racism and the systemic yeah. and 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 um, everything that that they feel like doesn't apply to them because they, quote, unquote, like Black people. It's not that. It's not that. There's so many different things. So this is a book that I'd love uh, for the folks here on the live to just go get. get. Now, you're going to have to continue. It gets you so not angry, Mm -hmm. but it gives you so much insight as to Mm -hmm. why things are the way way they they are. are. And for for it to come from a white woman is absolutely um, amazing. So that's a great book.
1: I definitely have plans to read it. Like yesterday, so Esquire, the magazine, did a post, maybe like Monday or something, and they shared, like, top five books to read mm-hmm. if you want to mm-hmm. learn about racism, and that was on there. And so yes. I posted, you know, the, the five, the ten books, um, and I absolutely plan on reading that. Yeah, I was it's instantly good. intrigued just by the title.
0: The title, the title. So mm-hmm. I um, learned about it from a uh a cool sort of Sigma Gamma Row, who told me about hmm. it. Um, she told me about it about seven, eight months ago, and I've been like okay. getting through it because it's yeah. just that good. You have to keep going over, you know, you know, just rereading so many things. What's yeah. the what's the last book that you read that you were that you love and intrigued were intrigued by? Um,
1: um, I'm thinking of the name. It is uh the, you are a badass at making money. You Ooh. Yeah, yeah. I think that's yeah, I think that's I'm saying it correctly. Right, right. But it's all about just changing your mindset about um being an income earner. Mm. Um and I, I, you know, it's I don't think it's necessarily directed specifically at women, but it's written by a woman. Um I think her last name is Sinero. Okay. Um It's just, it's really good. It's the idea of changing your perception about your ability to to earn money. You know, I think as women and sometimes people of color, you know, we have these underlying beliefs about our ability to earn. And um, so I think it's important to just constantly be checking your belief system. And then if you feel like there's, hey, an issue with that, you know, feeding yourself with things that are um, sort of that will uh, change your belief yes. system.
0: Yes, Man. that's that's what reading is all about. I just saw someone uh, type in the comments, reading is freedom, like people just right. don't understand the power of uh, ner- not knowledge, the power of your yes. vocabulary, just so many yeah. things come from from reading books. And I'm so glad that my, you know, my parents instilled that and to me and you just you just gain so much the escapism is is amazing too it's it's better than it's better than instagram (laughs) yeah absolutely (laughs) yes 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 all right we're gonna wrap things up and i always ask folks um when they're on the podcast now uh kusor live what is your definition of cool ah
1: my definition of cool is being yourself Mm -hmm. and being confident in that like yeah. So whatever, whatever you as a person, whatever you think is cool, yeah. you know, that's cool. That's where you walk it, walk in that confidently. It. Yeah, be yes. yourself and yes. do it confidently, and that's that's cool.
0: Yes. Well, you are definitely a cool soar of Delta Sigma Theta. Shout out to all your Thank line you. sisters and soars yes. who are on the call, on the live with us. Oh, and the, the author's Jen Sincero, I think. Yes, said. Lisa, Sin- that's, one of, that's one of your soars. Hey, Lisa. Hey, yay. <laughs> So Jen Sincero. So that yeah. um, that's good information. A lot of people saying they're going to add white fragility to their um, Audible. Also another one, uh, Eloquent Rage by Brittany Cooper. She's a sister. Mm. Baby! Okay, all that right. Book is I'm that book good. It's about yeah, the man. difference between black feminism and white feminism and how white feminists Ooh. do make a difference when it comes to black feminists. So, mm-hmm. and her life, it's, it's deliciously good. Mm-hmm. It's so good. Okay. It's good on Audible as well because she's actually um, reading. You know, you go she's to an Audible. Yeah. And like, right, right. And it's like it's somebody man's like voice. What's right. She doing? Right. And the woman, the black woman, comes over and says, How dare you? Like, Wait. <laughs> what? What? <laughs> Tell everybody how they can find you, follow you, and support your movement.
1: Yeah. So on all social media, I'm at Sporty Esquire. <coughs> um, Gladiators is real simple, at Gladiate Hers. Uh-huh. Uh, yeah. And my website is CeciliaTowns.com
0: and GladiateHers.com. Awesome. Well, continue success on everything. I'm super Thank proud you. of you. I'm super proud of this moment uh, that we can share your story. And uh, keep you.
1: doing what you do, Sporty Esquire. I shall, and I look forward to us
0: working together. Yes, we future. shall. I need help, yes. and we yes. can help each other. <laughs> Let's go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much to everybody who joined today. We're going to post this on our IGTV, and then next week you can find it on iTunes, Google Play, and Stitcher as we continue the conversation. And if you have anybody that you think would be amazing on our Cool Soar Live, please shoot me an email at cool, cool at com. real easy, cool at CoolSor.com. Thank you so much. Thank you. All right. Have a great one. All right. Bye. bye Bye-bye.